My name is Jason Buss. I'm a member here at Faith Westwood United Methodist Church. If this is your uh, first time, I welcome you. Uh, I definitely encourage you to come back and listen to Pastor Steve sometime. I think it would, you'd be uh, very blessed to have that experience. I would like to start us off with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for guiding the leaders of this church to take time to teach about kindness. For in that kindness, we get to reflect Christ to the world. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask that you be with us today and with us always. I ask this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. than that. This word is in the Bible seven times. One of the times that it's in the Bible is uh, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. It says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That same word that was translated as kind in Ephesians is translated as is easy in Matthew. If we take a look at Luke chapter 5, verse 39, it says, No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say that the old is better. Now we have the same word translated as kind and easy and better. And finally, in, in Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If we take a deeper look at that, that word kind means to be easy. When, when people interact with you, is it an easy transition? Or do you make it difficult? After you interact with someone, is their life better? Do they think of you as someone who is good? If we wrap all of those things up, being easy, being better, being good. We wrap those all up into being kind. I think it's good that we take a, a step back and just, just to look at that word to, to make sure that we're all on a, the same page of, of what it really means to be kind. If we look in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 24, or 22 through 24, that's in page 1176 in your Bible. It says, you were taught with regard to your former ways of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When Paul was writing to the Ephesians, he, he must have been in a pretty civil mood. He said, deceitful desires. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, he spelled it all out for them. He didn't pull any punches with the Galatians. 
In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul didn't pull any punches with the Galatians. He just told it like it was. And sometimes I think that, that we need to hear it like it is too. Deceitful desires. Those, those things of the world that are pulling us away from God. We're really living in this two parallel universes. One, uh, the, the kingdom of God which we're trying to live in and yet we have the desires of the world pulling us away. In Ephesians 4.23, it says, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, once said, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. How many of us can relate to that? How many of us in our lives are, are not the people that we want to be? We're, we're not what we might be or ought to be or wish to be or hope to be. But John Newton, he didn't just leave us there. He says, but I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. McLaren's exposition states it a little differently. It says, there is no book and no system in the whole world that takes such a dark view of what you and I are. There is none animated with so bright and confident a hope of what you and I may become. We're called to give our life over to Christ, to become new people, to, to go away from those deceitful desires of the world around us. I have a little bit of a confession to make. I have a fear of being up here. Now, it may not be the fear that you think. It's, it's not a fear of public speaking. It's not a fear of messing things up. I, I mess things up all the time. And it's surely not a fear of making a fool of myself because I do that all the time too. But I do have a fear. And, and it's a fear every time I step up here. And it's a steer, fear of saying something will set one of you down a wrong path, down a path that leads you away from Christ. Some of us in this room have heard hundreds, maybe thousands of sermons in our lifetime. And I would uh, guess most of those sermons we couldn't recall. But every once in a while, there's a sermon that just sticks with you. A sermon that, that kind of sets up the core foundation of, of your faith. One of those sermons for me was a sermon that I heard when I was, it was just a little, a little boy in uh, 
a Baptist church in Beatrice, Nebraska on Easter Sunday. Now, this pastor explained the crucifixion in a way that I'd never heard. He explained the, the bones in the wrist that the nail had to go in between. And, and the bones in the feet and how Jesus' legs had to be manipulated so that he could hang on that cross. And how much pain and suffering he had while he was hanging there. Even the effort it took for him to breathe. I can't hear the crucifixion story or read about it without having that pastor's words in my mind. My uh, youngest daughter quotes back to me a sermon that I preached a while ago. Mostly in a positive manner. <laughs> but that sermon is obviously a foundational sermon in her life. It spoke to her in some way. Dr. Randy Saylor's preached a sermon right here in this very sanctuary when I was in high school. And he said that he was amazed how many people came to him wanting to be a Christian. It just boggled his mind. It made no sense to him whatsoever why anyone would ever want to become a Christian. He said, why would you ever want to do this? It's really, really hard to be a Christian. Dr. Sailors understood that we are called to give our whole self to God. Not bits, not pieces. To give our entire being up to God. And that is a very hard thing to do. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 through 27 it says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehoods and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, do not sin. How many of us think that Christians can't be angry? That it's a sin to be angry? Paul is telling us that anger is an emotion. It's neither good nor bad. Just as a knife and a skilled surgeon's hand can do miraculous things, so can that same knife in an evil person's hand do great harm? We can use our anger to make positive change in the world. Or we can just react. Being fed by our ego with our anger, driving us into negative behavior. Anger is not a sin. And you will get angry. Your spouse or your child, your parent or friend, coworker, or, or maybe that stranger you've never met before who cut you off in traffic will make you angry. It's how you react to that anger is whether or not it is a sin. 
A couple of weeks ago at work, one of my coworkers said something to me, and we were in this conversation, and it just, it really made me angry. I could feel this anger welling up inside of me, and I started to react to that anger, and I stopped myself. And the conversation ended pretty abruptly, and, and, and we left and parted ways. Now, I knew that week we were both under a lot of stress. We'd both worked a lot of hours, late nights. Oh, we had a project, a big project go in. Didn't go quite as smoothly as it was supposed to. And at that point in time, addressing that, that anger inside of me, would have been very, very detrimental. Now, I did take some time later the next week to sit down with this person and have a conversation. And we had a good conversation, and, and we got to talk, and we have a, a healthy relationship now at work. Now, 10 years ago, I would not have responded that way. I am confident of it. Ten years ago, I would have been extremely passive-aggressive. I would have taken that in. I would have just let this burn inside of me. And at some point, I would have lashed out at that person. Now, five years ago, I would have gotten a little better. Five years ago, I would have addressed that problem right then and there. And I would have, I would have argued with that person, and I would have made sure that they knew that I was right and I would have fractured that relationship. In giving my, my heart and soul to Christ, I've evolved to become a better person. Now, are there times that I fall back into old habits? Yes, absolutely. If I'm tired or if I'm under stress, I, I'll revert back to that old self and when that happens, I have to go and apologize and make that relationship right. I may not be the perfect example of Christ to the world, but as I give myself over more and more to Christ, Christ is pulling me more and more in that direction. There's a great old hymn that says, take my life, or called Take My Life and Let It Be. In verse 5, it says, take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thy own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. That verse is the very heart of this message today. Take my will and make it thine. Every part of me, take my desires of who I am and what I want to be and, and let that be a reflection of Christ. Take my heart. It is thine own. In the very fiber and being, we're called to be reflections of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Verse 29 and 31, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. In James chapter 1, verse 26, uh, he says, Those who consider themselves religious 
and yet, do, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Our words can be very powerful things. They can be extremely destructive. When we gossip, that can damage relationships. And really, why do we gossip? To bring others down so that we can make ourselves feel better? One flip remark can change someone to be self-conscious for a lifetime. And we as, as parents, especially fathers of daughters, we have to be extremely careful about what we say to our daughters. And speaking from maybe personal experience there, we need to be kind with our words to build others up. And when we do make a mistake, and we will make a mistake, we need to make that right. On the other side of the coin, though, our words can be a great gift. We can lift others up. We can bring comfort to those who are hurting. We can build great friendships that are loving and caring. How simple is it to say thank you to someone? Can that simple thank you brighten their day or their week? Or what about giving a compliment to someone? Can that simple you're doing a great job change someone's attitude for that day or week? or maybe even change their entire life. Our words can be extremely powerful. I have a team at work who's just been doing a great job. And I heard some, some upper managers talking about them, about just how awesome this team is. And so I, I crashed one of their team meetings and I said, you know, I've been hearing some things about you. This team is just doing a great job. I took the time just to lift up their spirits a little bit to let them know how appreciated they are. I have a personal mission, and that's to reach out to people who've had loss, be it a death or a divorce, or whatever tragedy that's in their life. So often, when someone has a, a tragedy or, or loss in their life, they just start to feel isolated. People will avoid talking to them. And I try to, to reach out to those people. I had a friend who lost a, a young son. And I saw him just shortly after the funeral. And he was in the grocery store and I saw him and, I didn't, and he didn't see me. And my, my first reaction, as, as a matter of fact, I physically turned around and took two steps away from him. And I stopped myself. I walked over and I talked to him. I told him how sorry I was about his son. And we had a, a really good conversation. 
I would never want my friend to feel isolated or, or that, that I didn't want to talk to him. Reach out to those who are hurting and in need. Be that, that gift of Christ to others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. It's our job as Christians to lighten the load of others, to be easy, to make their lives better, to be good. Any, any interaction that you have with someone else should leave them better. We should, we should be Christ's representatives, lifting up others. And there are times we mess up. And in doing so, we need to reach out and make it right so that we can reflect Christ's love to others. We need to set aside our personal egos, our personal self, and let Christ lead our actions. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, you've, you've set apart, you've set, set this task that's, that's impossible to, to, to reflect Christ into the world. And yet, I pray that you lay it on our hearts and our minds to take just that one step closer to being a better representative of Christ in the world, to just draw us closer to you so that we can show the love and kindness to the world that your Son showed to us. I ask this all in your Son Jesus' name. Amen.